And you've turned into the round table. Turned into? Yes. <laughs> you have become the round table. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Wonder Thing Studios proudly presents the Round Table Podcast, episode 97. Literary Alchemists, I'm Lauren Harris. And I'm Dave Robison. And you've tuned into the Roundtable Podcast. On the Roundtable Podcast, we invite writers to come onto the show to pitch a story idea to us and our esteemed guest host. And then we rip open the singularity, dive into it, exploring <laughs> what works and what doesn't, trying to transform the raw idea into literary gold. gold. <laughs> Ripping open the singularity. And what do you find inside? Uh, I, I'm not even going to speculate. That, that just boggles my mind. Uh, <laughs> Lauren Scribe-Harris, uh, my podcast sister and, and uh, cohort in crime. Ma'am, delighted to have you back in the co-host chair. The 20 Minutes With was... Obviously, we were both a little broken by the time it was over. It was fabulous. There was there was wisdom, insight, and and goodness gleaned. Uh, I, I can only assume the same is coming up ahead. Uh, thanks for coming back and, and being my wing person. It is not a problem at all. I have actually managed to scoop my brains back through my ears into my into my cranial cavity. So wow. I'm 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 probably good for this episode. But if I, you know, say the wrong raspberry, <laughs> then we'll be fine. Just 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 correct it and post There's it. an image. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> well let let's roll forward with this process. We can't do this without a fabulous guest host. And dear friends, let's please welcome back from a fabulous, inspired 20 minutes with of just seven days ago. Please welcome back to the big comfy chair here at the round table Madeline Ashby uh, Madeline obviously the 20 minutes with was far more than that with good reason you were bringing some serious mojo to the table we could have kept talking forever I can only assume the brainstorm is going to be an equal exercise in fabulosity thank you so much I'm really looking forward to this well, thank you for having me absolutely this is this is what we do and it's 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 just fun we just love doing this but <laughs> <laughs> Madeline, I, I gotta ask, uh, with so many, so many perceptions that you have evolved through your life, through your studies, through your creative expressions, through your professional explorations, you've you've woven together this this rich tapestry of understanding of many levels, from fandom to to business to to culture, um, and to, of course to literature. So I'm I'm really kind of curious to ask this next question: What's coming up? For Madeline Ashby. Uh, let's see. Uh, in May of this year, uh, May 17th, I have a new novel out called Company Town. And yes. Company, Town is, uh, Company Town is the story of a bodyguard for the United Sex Workers of Canada, Union Local 314, who lives on... Uh, on a floating city out in the North Atlantic that's made of autonomous towers and it floats around a dead or a dying oil rig and a new company comes in and buys the entire town and she gets drafted to sort of work for the town's new masters when she learns that the youngest son of the family is uh, being given death threats from the future. <laughs> from the future. And, yes. And right. so she... 
she gets drafted to sort of be his bodyguard, which which involves going back to high school, which she had dropped out of oh, uh, years before. So she's not sure which is worse, the the um, the thing that's threatening to kill her client or having to go back to school. <laughs> and it's a real even toss-up for her. Uh, that's a tough call uh, for a lot of us, I would think. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, so that's coming out in... Uh, in May, in March, I'm going to be keynoting or, or speaking at um, Future Everything in Manchester, England. Um, I'll be at Ad Astra this uh, April in Toronto, which is a convention out in, in Toronto. Everybody should come because the Canadian dollar is incredibly low. So <laughs> your American dollars will go much, much further than they ordinarily would. And uh, and so, you know, come on up to, to Canada. Maybe the snow will have melted by then. <laughs> Cash um, incentive. Yes, bring- <laughs> um, so yeah, I'll be there and probably reading again from, from company town. And then, um, let's see, I'm trying to think if there's like short stories, uh, and stuff coming out. There's some other like sort of secret project things that I'm working on. And mm. then I'm, uh, also, uh, uh, working on, um, Rev, which is the sort of final iteration of the um, Machine Dynasty books. And iteration. That's, that's, I see what you did there. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's, I, I, that's why they pay me the big bucks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they, yeah, and that's um, that's Porsche's book. That's the villain's story. Oh, my God. How cool is that? Are you, now, are you digging that? Are you digging telling a story from the villain's perspective? It's really interesting because Porsche and I have, a, like, a really complicated relationship. Like, she is a... Um, she flows out of me very, very easily, but she's also really, really hard to work with. Like I can't be with her for very prolonged periods of time because otherwise um, it just sort of, uh, it gets very draining. It's very draining keeping, keeping her up, like keeping up the, the performance of being her. I would imagine. Because when you're like writing is a lot like acting sometimes where you're, um, you're, you're in a voice, you're inhabiting a character and she is really like, she's a, Eva, like she's a, it's like like she's like if if you made Joan Crawford a robot, it would be her, and so it's like really tough to like be her for prolonged periods. Um, She's the anti Madeline. Well, I don't. I'm not sure if that's true. She's definitely (laughs) part of me, but uh, it's hard to be her. Like it's it's hard to pull her off. It's really draining. Do you have a? Do you have a dead, uh, not a deadline, but do you have a, a target date of release for, for I, Rev? I, I think we're in talks about like when that will be. So I don't want to want to make promises. Well, let's, let's not seed the internet with any more potential gossip that will force the yeah, production no, schedule. Yeah, no, Roger that. Or, Roger that. No. Very cool. Very cool. I will make sure that all of that gets into the liner notes. Uh, and friends, do do make with the clicky-click on Madeline's goodness. Uh, uh, there's a lot of, of insight, uh, some wonderful stories, and, and some, some, some revelations to be found uh, amongst the goodness that she's putting out there. So uh, let me let me turn the mic quickly over to my co-host and podcast sister, Lauren. I know your life has been uh, uh, an explosion of school and professional pursuits uh, as well as creative ones. So real quick, catch everybody up on what's been going on. Oh my goodness. Okay. Well, um, I am currently in uh, school for cardiac sonography or ultrasound of the heart. So uh, I am splitting my week between two cities and then commuting from those cities to other cities 45 minutes out uh, to do either class or my clinical work. 
Um, so that's taking up a lot of time. And um, every spare moment after that is spent either sleeping, studying, or um, at this point recording because uh, I, I – uh, my, my, my creative centers are currently shut down. So at the moment, I'm I'm just doing narration work rather than trying to um, do any writing of my own. But uh, I am submitting a finished book right now to some agents. I'm querying um, my book, Hellhound, which I yes. finished last year and uh, finally got all the revisions and, and stuff done on that. And uh, so that's out with a couple of agents right now. And um, I've just finished editing and will soon be releasing Shadows on Snow by Starla Hutchton. Yes. Um, which I have uh, done the audiobook for. And I am coming up on the last few chapters of Abigail Hilton's new book, The Scarlet Albatross. Yes. Awesome. So, yeah, I've got, got baby. more Panamandora. Yep. Excellent. Um, and, and of course, your other books, it. your other books that are out there, go ahead and, and let people know about that. Right. So um, I have the first two books in a young adult paranormal mystery series called the Mill Road Academy Exorcists. And uh, the first two books are out. The first one is called Exercising Aaron Wynn, and that is spelled N-G-U-Y-E-N. And uh, the second book is called The Girl in Acid Park. And The Girl in Acid Park was released last year. And both are now available on Amazon.com. You can also hear the first one on Audible.com. Very cool. Who narrated that first one, by the way? Uh, I did. Of course you did. Awesome. Of course I did. <laughs> Very cool. And what about conventions with that schedule of yours? I don't know if you've got any conventions to squeeze in. Oh, um, I am planning on Balticon this Yay. year. Um, so, But as far as conventions go, that is it. I will make sure that links to all of that goodness get tucked neatly into the liner notes for both of you uh, so that our listeners can can pursue, follow, and enjoy the goodness you're putting out in the world. Uh, but for now, here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to pause for just a moment and, and give some podcast airtime to another fabulous podcast or audio drama or a Kickstarter or any one of the thousand different things that are exploding on the internet right now. But when we come back, Madeline, mm. Lauren... I would love to brainstorm a story with you guys. What do you say? Sounds good. Uh, I would be happy to. Oh, good. Oh, good. <laughs> All right. We, we, we managed to achieve an accord on that, uh, on that concept, friends. So don't you go away. We will be right back. <laughs> the Darkness. A fitting name for the rot at the heart of the Nanton. A blight that could ruin us all. It's said that Salisa had a plan one that would reshape the future of the Nanton Kingdom. What I didn't know was that I was to be a key part of it. What none of us know is what it will cost. Into the Nanton, the world's first real-time fantasy blog, is about to enter its climactic third season at IntoTheNanton.com. Read or listen to it for free, then back us on Kickstarter today. You have until April to keep the darkness at bay. Welcome back, dear friends, and now we get down to the business at hand, the reason why you're here and the reason why we're here, the story brainstorm. And friends, that does not happen without a bold and courageous, a creative and courageous guest writer striding forward and setting the table for our brainstorming feast. And friends, when not hunting for evidence of ghosts, 
with Phoenix Paranormal South Africa, our guest host works as a bookseller and spends his nights writing weird, rule-breaking fiction. So let's get this straight, guys. During the day, he's hunting ghosts uh, uh, or working as a bookseller, and at night, he's writing stories. Does it get any better than that? I think not. <laughs> he is the author of Betrayal's Shadow. He'll be writing a novel for Ed Greenwood's Hellmaw series of the fabulous Underlibram Project with the Ed Greenwood Group, and he's also the biggest Star Wars fan he personally knows. Uh, and he also likes brandy. So, and I'm sure there's been one or two already slammed down to, 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 to gird, gird your loins for this event. Dear friends, please welcome to the writer's chair here at the round table, David DeBerg. Dave, my friend, dude, I don't care how many times anybody has done this. It's never easy to, to offer up your baby for scrutiny and discussion uh, among a group of well-meaning but still strangers. Uh, so, dude, hats off for your courage and bravery, and thank you so much. I'm really looking forward to this, man. Oh, same here, man. It's it's an absolute pleasure to to be with you guys. Um, <laughs> I've got to say, I think I'm in the wrong country. There, there's so much happening in in the U.S., especially, and in the U.K. You know, in South Africa, we've just got a crazy government, and you know, <laughs> just 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 Google South African government, you'll see crazy stuff. All right, real quick, <laughs> Dave, have you found any ghosts in South Africa? We've got quite a interesting situation here because. We, we're a multicultural country, so the kind of stuff that we find is very different to the kind of stuff that you'll that you'll watch on on channels like uh, Paranormal State and Ghost Hunters and that kind of that kind of thing. It's right. uh, it's very different, and we sometimes get evidence that we need to sort of do cultural historical research for to to try and find out what we've actually discovered. But there's some very interesting ghosts and spirits walking around here, um, for interesting. sure. Interesting. Yeah. Dude. All right. When we're done, we need to set up a little sidebar and, and, and discuss that more, because that sounds fascinating. Uh, dude, but that's not why we're here. We're here to, to, to brainstorm a story, your story in particular. Uh, so let's get into that. You know how this works. We give you five to eight minutes. You give us the title, the genre, the intended audience. Give us the, the log line and the themes. Introduce us to the world and characters. Give us the, the basic tent poles of the story. And we will be off to the races and, and rocking a fabulous brainstorm. So that's it for me. I'm getting out of the way, dude. The mic is all yours. Awesome. Thanks, Dave. Well, uh, the title is, provisional title, A Gate into Chaos. Um, and it's epic fantasy grimdark, um, intended audience because it's grimdark as adult. Uh, the hook, three allied kings are manipulated into declaring war on their ally, a trading partner across the ocean, unaware that this ally has been fighting a war against beings who are, who are the product of an ancient and terrible wrong perpetrated against them. The themes, uh, this is the story about diplomacy and its negative effects, hidden desires, warring with duty, and the toll a centuries-long war can take on a people. Uh, the world, uh, the, set, the story is set in a secondary world called Arsavis, consisting of five continents stretching around its equatorial zone. One of the continents is home to a matriarchal society. Um, it's an empire known as the Iadia, which is ruled entirely by women. Uh, the ruling section is called the Congress of Mothers. 
And on another continent, Westval, three countries who are the allies, trade with Iadia, unaware that the empire has been embroiled in a terrifying war, which the men of Iadia are bred for and raised to fight in. Thanks to trade with Iadia, the kingdoms of Westval, which are Trannon, Desavi, and Hudalon, on the cusp of an industrial revolution, and the three kings enjoy a cordial relationship despite having spies which inform them of each, each other's dealings, and they have no idea just how advanced Iadia society is. Uh, characters, the protagonist of the story is a spy named Alethel. He serves Hudelon's king, Gerald. He's got a photographic memory, a gift for languages, and no memory of his childhood. He enjoys a familial relationship with Gerald, and his greatest fear is losing the sense of belonging he has gained while working for the king. What he wants the most is to have a family of his own, but his duties keep him from that. At the beginning of the story, Alethel is focused and determined, sure of himself and his place, and unquestioningly loyal. At the end of the story, Alethel is shattered, emotionally and physically, yet has taken responsibility for a young boy whom he rescued towards the end of the novel's final conflict. Alethel is supported by King Gerald of Hudalon and the king's advisor, Maundal, a stern yet caring mother figure. He also has ties to Giandal, one of the mothers of Iadia. The antagonist is named Idain. He's confused, emotionally volatile, and terrified of people. A living, sentient being named Ohel is attached to the stump of his right arm. He has no memory of where this creature came from or what happened to his arm. Idain hides as much as possible and wants to be left alone because he thinks he's a hopeless monster. But when he discovers his ties to Iadia and the Congress of Mothers, he begins to understand that he isn't as helpless as he previously thought. At the beginning of the story, Idain is afraid, confused, and quick to lash out. And at the end of the story, he's composed, content, and at peace. He's gained a father figure, or hell has been removed from his body, and he has a chance to change everything that has happened. He's supported by one of the kings, Daedalus of Tranon. Daedalus has no idea what Idain is capable of, and Daedalus uses him as an assassin. Idain is also connected to the beings fighting against the mothers of Aadia. These beings are known as On-Arida. It's an ancient Iadia term meaning world striders and are an unfortunate product of an ancient mistake made by the first Congress of Mothers. The mothers of that time were powerful and unrivaled mages who used their power to try and create life forms which would be capable of serving them without them having to resort to mating with and living with men. These beings, then known as Adia Aldai, meaning servants of the womb, were freed by a rogue mother who was considered weaker than her peers and was ignored. This rogue mother, her name was stricken from Iadia's historical record, led the Adia Aldai to a realm removed from Arsavis, and this realm is also where the mother's power comes from. The remaining mothers swore to stop using magic, allowed a certain number of men from other continents to come to Iadia, and their society changed somewhat to incorporate the men, but the men were used as breeders and builders, and they created their own culture and society apart from the mothers. When the Adia Aldai returned, called On Arida, and attacked the ancient home, led by the insane teachings of their Dia Hol, or One Mother, the men of Iadia were forced to defend the empire, and this began the war. The men, now known as Set Adia, or Spears of the Womb, became unrivaled warriors, and the On Arida used their knowledge of majory to exist in both realms at the same time. So when an Onarida wounded a set Adia, the man was pulled into the Onarida's realm, and the war is now entering its final stages. The story. In the first act, 
Olafel tells Gerald of the impending trade cessation after witnessing Ayadia ships leaving Hudelon's docks unannounced. Gerald calls a meeting of his fellow kings to discuss the situation, and the decision is made to send Olafel across the ocean to investigate the situation at Ayadia. Then Maundal, Gerald's advisor, is found murdered. Suspicion between the three kings grows, and more bodies are found, but with limbs, torsos, heads missing. The kings begin preparing for a declaration of war against Ayadia, depending on what information Olafel brings back. The second act. Olafel manages to infiltrate Ayadia and discovers the reason for the trade cessation, the war against the Onarida. He is saved from discovery by a small group of Set Adia. They relate the history of their land to him and offer shelter and food and help him in any way they can. Back on Eswell, Idain is revealed as Maandal's murderer when Daedalus of Tranon tasks him with another assassination, that of King Gerald. When Idain manages to get close enough to Gerald, with Ohel's help, the king reacts in shock because Idain looks exactly like Alathel and asks Idain if they are brothers. Idain leaves Gerald alive after finding out where Alathel went and then sets off to track him down and get answers. Daedalus' plan to destabilize Hudelon and then become its savior is in ruins with Idain gone and he decides to wait and see what will happen in Hudelon and Dasavi now that Gerald has been removed, only to be surprised by news of Gerald's survival. Back on Ayadia, a chance meeting with a mother, Giandal, leads to Alathal discovering that he originally came from Ayadia and that he is a Juanset, or divided spear, meaning that he exists in two places as two people at the same time. She knows this because she recognizes him from when she was younger. When Idain arrives in Ayadia, one of the set Adia he meets with mistakes him for Alathal, and when the two run into each other, Idain attacks and almost kills Alathal, but Ohal manages to convince Idain to leave Alathal alive and make for the massing forces of Onarida for answers. In the third act, war has broken out on, on Westval. Trenin is being invaded by Gerald's forces, and Daedalus hides in his palace. In Iadia, Alathal is also told that he is the answer to and opposite of what Idain is. On Westval, Gerald's forces break into Daedalus' palace and arrest him, ending his threat and paving the way for what will be called Alathal's Trust, a pledge of peace and continued friendship between the three kingdoms. In Iadia, the Onarida launch the attack against Iadia, and while the set Adia defend, Alathal manages to find his way into the One Mother's realm. He fights Edain, severs Ohel from his body, and the backlash of the One Mother's sorcery almost kills him. When he wakes up, he discovers that he is not alone and that a physical manifestation of the One Mother's sorcery is changing and consuming his right arm. A young boy child is with him. Alathal realizes that this is Idain. Traveling back to the Mother's city, seeing no sign of the Onarida, the Set Adia, or evidence of the battle, Alathal meets a young mother who is meditating in the desert about a day's ride from Ayadia. This is the same mother, Giannel, though younger, he met in the city. Somehow, he traveled back in time and also changed events. He's becoming Idain, and Idain will grow up to become Alathel. But if he can do things differently, then perhaps the war with the Onarida can be ended in a different way. He decides to raise Idain with Giandal's help, knowing that a war is coming. And there we go. <laughs> Bam! There we go. Holy crap. Uh, uh, I, I'm out of ink. <laughs> I took a lot of notes on that sucker. Um, uh Dave, what are you hoping to get out of the next 45 minutes or so of brainstorming, man? I just, just anything. Um, 
you know, a lot of writers say that that writing is not a it's not a pursuit that you do alone, and it's it's very very true. <laughs> so this is this is just an idea. This is just it's something that's been sitting in my head for probably about three or four years now. And we can tell the, the <laughs> yeah, and the, you know the the, the the broad strokes of the idea are there, but to be able to discuss it with with people who are extremely well read, well studied, who, who who know what's going on in the world and how real world kind of situations can pertain to genre fiction will just help me make the story better. So I just really want to be able to make this this novel because I want to make it a standalone novel. Sure. Um, I don't want to make it part of a series. So I want to make this probably like, you know, the absolute best thing I can write until, <laughs> of course, my Hell, Hell More novel comes out. Of course, of course. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I think you've come to the right place, my friend, uh, uh, for discussion and consideration. Uh, but let's dive into this. Actually, no, we can't. Holy crap. Uh, we've got to cover our ass. Lauren, would you be so kind as to offer the patented Roundtable podcast disclaimer? I would love to cover our asses. Thank you. Okay. Uh, Dave, other other Dave, you're about to experience a veritable deluge of ideas, insights, and inspirations. It's important you realize that everything said from this point forward by myself, Dave, or Madeline might be complete bullshit. This is your story, and you decide what to use and what to cast aside. <laughs> All right? Awesome, no problem at all. Eh? Very good. Awesome. Ass is covered. Uh, ass is covered. We're off the hook. Fabulous. <laughs> Let's dive into this. Uh, we always start with a quick once around the table to get some first impressions and questions of clarification uh, uh, out of the way. And we always start with our guest host. So, Madeline Ashby, please start us off. What are your first impressions of Dave's story pitch? And and what questions do you have to, to clarify to, to, to feed the brainstorm to come? Well, well, one, this is this is incredibly complex, and like this is way more complex than anything I would ever write. I'm like super intimidated by <laughs> by the amount of world building that's going on here, and like the amount, like the the I read I read the initial summary of this, and there's names with apostrophes in them, and I just like that's, <laughs> that's it. and I was I'm just done. like that was like the signifier of like oh wow, this is like we we are in territory that I don't normally. Not only do I not write, <laughs> but I often do not read. Um, so it's like super intimidating um, and uh, and really dense and like I was having a really hard time like keeping all the names together and like keeping who was where it's like I needed a chart. I yeah. felt like I needed an actual like a family tree or something like that and that's why a lot of books like this come with family trees and maps and things like that. They need supplemental material. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So, but my first like big question like aside from that and those are like often questions of taste like those are questions of like who... I think that that level of world building and that that density and that sort of those layers and things like that those there is definitely a market for those and and people really love those if you're into that then that's what you're really 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 into um, my my question though uh, that the first thing that leapt out at me was um, how do these three three kings get embroiled in a you know uh, in a conflict with another nation that they do not know is at war. Like, because it seems like to me, it seems like war is a tough thing to hide. Um, <laughs> even though you're across the ocean, things get around, and um, and stuff. And so you would start seeing the edges of the of that disruption um, in things like the price of grain increasing, or um, mm -hmm. the uh, um, or shipping routes being disrupted. Or you know, not being able to just 
get the same things that you were expecting to get. Or, or even just and, sailors and, talking, you know, as yeah, they sail, come in. Yeah, you know. mm-hmm. sailors talking or like losing. It's like, where are all the mercenaries going? Why yeah, would they be going yeah. there? Like that kind of like, huh, that type of thing. And And also like, it's also very odd to me that this nation of like the, these formerly very powerful witches and now quite powerful politicians and, and so on would somehow work to hide the fact that they're at war when they have these other powerful allies. Like the first thing that happens in, you know, at least my understanding of this is the first thing that happens when when people start uh, start a conflict with you is that you then tell all your friends, you tell all of your allies and say like, Hey, this is a problem for me. And, right. uh, this is a problem for our country. It's not like a thing where you hide it in shame. Yeah. Right. And that, like, I didn't understand like what, like what strategic advantage there would be to hiding this conflict. It's one thing if you don't know who it, you, it, you don't know who you're at war with and bad things are happening. But even then you still tell your allies that, you know, something bad is happening yeah. to us. We may need your help. Well, um, let, me, let me offer this, because uh, uh, I, yeah. w- I would like to get Dave's response on that. Dave, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a, a slight muzzle on you. Uh, no, knowing that you have pages and pages of background that may justify this, I'm, right. I'm, I'm putting a muzzle on you and saying you get two or three sentences to explain uh, uh, your perspective of, of this, this silence and this lack of connectivity between these two countries. Can, can you work with that? No problem at all. Then. Okay. <laughs> Excellent. So the first, the, the, the main reason why the three kings the, from the three kingdoms don't know about the war ties into the reason why the, the kingdom across the ocean, why Idea hasn't told them about the war. And it's because it's a very personal conflict. The, 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 mother, the, the Congress of Mothers, have, they know they made a mistake. And they don't want to bring sort of shame onto themselves and show any kind of weakness by bringing in any other people to fight their war for them. So it's a matter, it's a matter of, of the, cultural pride, basically. Cultural yes, pride is and, responsibility. Um, yeah, and uh, another reason why the Three Kings don't know about the war is... They, they, because of the relationship they've had and historically, you know, all their predecessors, there's been very little to no conflicts between them. So they, they've been managing to trade items with themselves and, you know, food and all of that kind of thing. But the, the kind of items and trade goods that they get from Iadia, they cannot get from anywhere else except Iadia. So Iadia ships to them and sells to them, and these three kingdoms buy from Iadia. The and, they, and they accept that why, because they, they, the only place they can get these goods are Idea. and if Idea says, we're not going to tell you about this, they kind of have to honor that if they want the goods, yep. right? And that, that ties into why these, these three kingdoms decide to start thinking about the possibility of maybe Iadia is going to declare war on them because one of the first signs of, 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 of a conflict is a cessation of trade. So, yeah. So, Madeline, does that help uh, uh, frame the context of, of your questions and considerations? Yeah, it's an answer, but I don't think I buy it. Okay. Let's, um, let's put cause... a pin in that. Let's put a pin in that and, and come circle back to it in the brainstorm proper. Because yeah, yeah, I yeah. agree. I, I, there's, there's an isolationist quality there that, that actually could, could be opened up a little bit with some exploration. I agree. Um, any other questions or, or observations before I move on to Lauren? Uh, no, no, no. That was the thing that stuck out to me most. Okay, cool. Lauren, your first impressions and questions. Okay, um... 
Well, I was not expecting the tr- the time travel aspect <laughs> to it. So uh, that was neat. I actually I I like the main villain and the main character switching places at the end. That was a nice little tie-in moment of future and past there. That that was kind of cool. One one thing that I did notice was the the matriarchy was kind of a, a straw matriarchy in the sense that the women are narratively punished for attempting their independence and they have to have a like men or male characters come in to fix the problems and save them from the war. And so that has its own kind of issues that I'd like to get into. And um, I did have a question of, um, are there any female characters who aren't either at fault for a disaster, family, in need of help, or romantic interest? Not at all, no. Um, (laughs) I've, in in, in my novel... Yeah, in my novel Betrayal Shadow, I've got a I've got a, a, a female main character, and one of the things that a lot of people have said is that um, she she seems to be incredibly weak, and she's very uh, she's gone through such a difficult time, and she continues to be tested in the book. Um, so what I wanted to do with this story is to to sort of build a culture where the women are completely in control. Um, sort of like if where the men are used for their for their brawn, um, mm-hmm. the women are the architects. They are the artists. Um, they 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 do everything. They hold the entire culture together. Uh, but the men are the guys that build their buildings and fight for them. Um, okay. And they, they fight for them because they don't want to use this this sorcery and this magic that they've been using because of what happened to them. So Lauren, how does so, that fit into your context of of the mm, issues that you raised? Um, it, it sort of just intensifies the problem because it kind of shows that women trying to be independent screw up and have to allow men into their lives to fix the problem, win the war. And when you said they don't want others to fight their war, um, they effectively surrendered their agency or their magic because they got mm-hmm. too powerful. And that is a um, a, a big trope in the uh, fearing women gaining power mm-hmm. idea. So uh, it, it, I understand that where you're going with that, but it also portrays them in a negative way. Uh, yeah, I was going to agree. It is it, like it does. It's kind of discomforting. It's a discomforting scenario in that, like, mm-hmm. um, you know, because also like the idea that like women are parasites who use men for their brawn is a total men's yeah. rights activist fantasy. Yep. And uh, and it's and it's it's like. And it's a thing where it's like there. If you go back into like early science fiction, there's a lot of like sort of feminist utopia stories that are a mm-hmm. lot like that. Um, that were in some ways were often like I think jo- Joanna Roos wrote one, The Female Man, and like uh, there there are a few others which I, I may be misremembering that, but there are these other sort of feminist utopia stories where women use men for for work or whatever, and like that's not mm-hmm. actually a feminist utopia. And no. <laughs> and the the actual female empowerment fantasy is that you know is is not like using men for their brawn it's being really strong and getting shit done like it's not mm-hmm. like oh we're gonna enchant these guys or like pay these guys to do shit it's like no uh i'm just gonna build the house myself and i'm yeah, just gonna this- do it myself and and stuff so i think that like if you're if if you're honest about these women being that tough and like running their own society then they have to do it themselves there's none of this like you can pay laborers or whatever but this whole like that's what men do in this society like that just strikes me as disingenuous 
and sort of not fully thought out. Like everything else in this story is like pretty layered and complex and and fully fleshed out, except for this. And okay, cool. because it's sort of un unexamined. Because like the thing that I also mm-hmm. found myself wondering was like, okay, wait, so they give up their magic. Who the hell would do that? And yeah, if you have seriously. magic, then like, uh, why would you ever give that up? That's a silly idea. Like, if I had magic, you would have to pry it from my cold, dead hands. And um, Especially and, if the problem you've you've ostensibly created is a magical issue. Like, you're going to want to fight it with magic. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Because, like, also, you don't know, if you have magic, you don't know that other people don't, right? So it's like, even if you did badly with it, you need to keep it because you might be under attack, which is exactly what happens here. Right. And and stuff. So I think that like the idea that even if you had let the magic go or that some people let their own personal magical abilities go, you would I think still have holdouts who held on to theirs. Um, who who were active in, you know, keeping the magic and keeping sort of uh, literally keeping the magic alive. Yeah. Um, I could see a political I, division uh, uh, yeah. Almost a schism or a civil war. Uh, yeah, that's uh, in, yeah. yeah. I was yeah. That's kind of what I was expecting. Was this like, um, or not even expecting? But I was yeah. thinking about like, okay, if you had these vast, you know, this vast access to power, um, you know, we still fight about what to do with our nukes, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we still fight like, about what to do with guns. Yeah. No. And so it's like, but we still have those things. Like we we may not use them all the time. Like we don't, you know, use nuclear weapons willy-nilly uh but we still have them we haven't like even though we've sort of like limited our access to them and like put a lot of them away they're still there but there's still an infighting and like disagreement and and conversation about how to use those things or whether to use those things and and stuff so i feel like um that was it's it's too easy to say Oh well, we had magic, but then we screwed up one time, so we're not gonna like use it anymore. And it's like, mm-hmm. have you ever used a tool in life? <laughs> like, have you ever hit yourself <laughs> in the thumb with a hammer? Did you then disavow all hammers? Ban the hammer. <laughs> <laughs> I totally get well, where you guys are coming from here. Yeah. That does make sense. Yeah. Well, and, and <laughs> let me let me jump in just real quick and affirm. Uh, uh, that Dave, in response to uh, feedback from his first story and the treatment of his female character there, is is taking steps to uh, uh, recti- not rectify, but to expand his awareness of and and treatment of the 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 female gender in his in his fiction, uh, and, which is awesome. Which is exactly no, that is awesome. And yeah. the the feedback that we get, and I do, I think we need to circle back around to this in the brainstorm too. Is is give Dave some some feedback on on the things that as Lauren and and Madeline you've already done. Uh, let's pursue that further because I think that's a valuable resource, not just for Dave but for all of our listeners. Um, I'm right. going to put a pin in it now and and ask Lauren, was there anything else that you wanted for this first round uh for the first round that's really what stood out to me really the one the thing that i wanted to to sink my claws into sink your claws into very good (laughs) excellent um for myself dave uh uh, i love i I love a good rich dense story uh and clearly the background that you got i I think you've gone the same route that i have gone you 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 start writing a story and you realize oh i need to develop the backstory on this and the backstory suddenly becomes almost more interesting than the main story that you're writing and your narrative (laughs) timeline starts going back and back and back because this is intriguing um uh, I, I do like what's going on. One of the things that I noticed right off the bat with your tagline is that it doesn't mention your protagonist. 
Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. Everything about that tagline was about the countries and the politics and the history. Mm-hmm. It wasn't about a character. And I felt very much as I was going through and listening to the to the background and the story and, and the rich work that you've done. And it is beautiful, man. It really is. It ties together well. There's there's things to shore up, and we'll discuss that. Uh, but the fact that the character wasn't in your tagline, I think, is very telling. Uh, and, and, and Lauren's reference to the lack of female characters that have significant agency is also something that we, I think, mm-hmm. need to explore uh, as, as we yeah. go forward with that. Um, the, uh, uh, I didn't, a Dane with the, the, the dude attached to his arm. I'm, I'm still wrapping my head around that and we can explore that in, in the future. Um, but <laughs> that is so, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I have nothing wrong with strange shit in my fiction. I got no problem with that, but it needs to be supported. And the, yeah. the, 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 the fact that this guy is the only dude with another dude attached to his arm uh, uh, is is something I think you're going to need to back up in some way. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm not oh. sure. It's reminding just... me of Vampire Hunter D. Yeah, I yeah, was just gonna say exactly. Like the, the snarky hand character from, from mm-hmm. that. which yeah. works in Vampire Hunter D because it's is supported in the narrative arc. Uh, in some way, and I think we need to give that same treatment to, to O'Hall, uh, the dude attached to uh, Iden. The only other awesome. point that I wanted to make was I'm with Lauren. The time travel twist at the end is a bright, bright, shiny story thing, and it's very cool. But unless the story is about regret and the opportunity to go back and fix what you did, if the, if the theme that you're working with doesn't affirm this sudden, radical, bizarre mm-hmm. revelation yeah. at the end, then all it is is a bright, cool story thing. It doesn't actually support the narrative. Does that make sense? It does make complete sense, yes. Okay, yeah. awesome. Um, so for, for myself, I'd really like to explore uh, uh, Alifel's Story and its its presence and oh that was the other question I had. How many POV characters are you looking at in this story, yeah. Dave? Um, I was thinking because because I want to make it a standalone. I was thinking of in my mind I've got five. It would be Alethel, it would be Idain, uh, Gerald, Daedalus, and Giandel. But Giandel's chapters would be would be short because we'd meet her. You know, in the second arc, and then we'd really understand her importance once once we get to the third arc. Um, but that's you know, it's that's that's just what I've what I've envisioned. Um, well, let me obviously with with everything, all the notes and everything, and and everything ha- coming out of the discussion so far, <laughs> the the story is already changing in my mind. So okay, yeah, well, <laughs> and I'll put out there that that five POV characters is is not unheard of. It's a little heavy. Um, I'll also observe that the the particular team for this brainstorm uh, uh, is actually uh, more versed in more intimate stories. So uh, affirming the the value of of a rich, dense character cast, moving forward, I can see us offering you input and suggestions that are going to narrow the focus of the story down to a smaller group. And that's just, it's an exercise in exploration. That's all it is. So, Mm -hmm. so Madeline, your original opening comments, 
part of the reason I wanted you on this for this particular <laughs> brainstorm is for exactly all the things that you listed were okay. were intimidating and terrifying. I, I want to give Dave your perspective on this. I think it'll be invaluable to him. Uh, uh, so it wasn't a, a, a <laughs> it, it wasn't a oh let's let's shove Madeline way out of her comfort zone. Yeah, no, I was like <laughs> <laughs> it was it was it was let's give Dave a new perspective on his story. So that's that's where we're coming from here. So okay, okay, cool. All right, all right, so that right. done, we'll we'll you dive feel in. Better. <laughs> and that's what I'm here Whereas for. Whereas I now. love huge casts. Yes. So, so it's going to yeah. be all over the place. Let's yeah. dive into this. Madeline, uh, uh, I've, I've made some lists here. I've seen that we're talking about the authenticity of the politics, uh, uh, the, the gender issues surrounding the culture of Idea, and the, the abandonment of magic in the backstory and the world building and what that speaks to about the culture. And, of course, then there's also the let's talk about the characters a little bit and see what we can't tease out in terms of a good story arc and that and more. So where do you want to where do you want to dive in? Where do you want to start? Oh man, uh, I know, actually, right? Yeah, <laughs> wow. Um, like I think talking about like how many characters to do in POV, I would limit those. I would limit that number of characters. I would just I would limit the I would limit the number of POV characters. One cuz like I usually try to keep it to a single POV. I know that I'm isolated in that and that's also more of a science fiction thing than it is a a fantasy thing. Um fantasy loves having a bunch of, of <laughs> um, POV characters like you you're supposed to somehow remember Uncle Joe from Thanksgiving 5 years ago in the context <laughs> of fantasy. like like who who are you? Like the, you know like that kind of thing. Um that's and then you feel like was I not reading? Enough. Was I not paying um, attention? Like, like, was I, and so there's so there's a little bit of that. Um, so, but also because you have this big time travel twist at the end, or this transformational twist, which I really like. I think that's really interesting. It's not where I was expecting it to go, but Dave is right. It has to sort of braid into the story. It has to be a story about do overs and regret and and the opportunity to have a child and not have a child and and da da da. Because there's this big twist, you can't have too many POV characters because then you'll give the game away, mm-hmm. right? Yes, you have yeah. like, the more opportunities there are for people to tell the story, the more likely it is that people will discover the game that you're playing, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. in the same way that like you know, mist- when a mystery writer does multiple POV, they have to be really careful about who knows what at what time, and sort of that's kind of like you know, with a big twist ending, you know. The reason Fight Club works is because you only ever hear it told by one guy. Uh, mm. The reason American Psycho works is because you only ever hear it from from uh, Patrick Bateman's perspective. So, like the mm-hmm. that's and it's sort of with this it would be interesting if you're if you're you just had these two people talking to each other or talking around yeah. each other, slowly discovering that they are each other or that they are the self. Mm-hmm. But what I think yep. like the big twist, and I think that this is kind of the primrose path that Dave is leading us down, is that you should really transfer <laughs> you should really make this um, a story about two women who are each other. Bam. Um, mm-hmm. Or um, or making Aiden a female character and, and working yeah, with that whole polarity yeah. thing. Yeah, and actually yeah. that would be really interesting is that I think that because also because the idea of a person who wants to have a family and can't because of their career is a is a constant question among women already. Automatically, mm-hmm. right? mm-hmm. that just ties into like you know the idea of this woman having this career, and then because that's also you know this person is a spy and a, and an assassin who uh, who 
you know, and women have been spies and assassins for many, many, you know, for centuries, precisely because they are unexpected in that space and mm-hmm. and stuff. So I think that like having this interesting story about this woman who w- kind of wishes that she could settle down, but also has no opportunity to do so. Like that's a well, that's another well-worn trope. Um, but it's all, but it's also a trope because there's a kernel of truth in there, right? right. So I think like that sort of already deepens the stakes of the story, but I guess like um, I, I'm going to give it up for now because like okay. I, I, yeah 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 well there's and a I'll... lot to unpack and I want somebody else to have a turn. <laughs> <laughs> well let's 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 continue on the POV strain for just a minute, Lauren. Uh, uh, in your head for 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 Dave's story and the narrative he's trying to tell, what what kind of cast are you seeing in terms of who could sustain the narrative of this story? Well, I, I still kind of like the idea of um, Alethel as a man just because I like the idea of subverting that trope of, of a woman having to choose between a family and a career because we don't often give men enough credit for wanting to have a family as well. I like that and too. And having that paternal instinct. So I, I kind of like that and leaving um, Alethel as a man. But I question whether or not we need a Dane as a POV character because wouldn't he know that he is Alethel? Yeah. So that that's that's a question that I have. So do we need Idane as a POV character or can we see Idane only from the outside and leave him kind of mysterious? Ooh. I like Dave, that. What do you think? Um, you know, one of the uh, this is going to sound weird, but one of the reasons that I thought of as the as the idea was forming in my mind of bringing in time travel was I, I blame it on Stephen King and the Dark Tower. <laughs> <laughs> Um, like I don't know, I don't know if you guys have, have read the final book, but at the end of the book, there is something that happens that that a lot of Stephen King fans and Dark Tower fans absolutely hate, but which sort of like creates it creates a cycle, and that's that's the kind of thing I wanted to go for with with this book is creating that cycle. So, so you wanted to this be the start of the cycle. This this is where it begins, um, where even though Idane, when we meet him, he doesn't, he's, he's got all these fears and he's got this thing attached to his arm and he doesn't know what it is. Um, he'll know at the end of the story and when his new story begins, why that is there, which might even help him to go back further and sort of like sort out uh, this conflict and, and stop this conflict from, from happening. So that's the kind of thing I was, I was going for. So if Dane is the one that is eventually going to stop the conflict, hopefully, can we make him the main character? Ooh, we mm. we could. That that would be that would be really that would be interesting for sure. Yeah, <laughs> I kind of like that because I mean, really, if you look at the narrative arc, Alifel kind of gets more of it. <laughs> yeah, he really does. And, yeah. and Alifel starts off as very cool and everything's fine and I'm awesome and I have a few doubts and concerns but and then at the end he's this shattered broken being and I know that's grimdark and that's how you roll but really mm-hmm. uh, uh, Dane starts off with questions and passion and oh my god mm-hmm. and, and he ends up he or she ends up as a, a, a more integrated and focused being that makes more sense to me as a narrative arc honestly it does you know, yeah it does it's actually funny because the the first kernel of the story was was my idea with Edain, and I'm not actually sure why I went with Alethal as the main character. Um, I, I don't know what happened with that, but the the the, the spark of the tale was Edain with his thing on his arm. 
Um, so I probably should have gone with him as the main character from yeah, the beginning. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, I okay. think it makes sense. Like, Elithel is, like, definitely the kind of, like, b- like character that you pitch a book with, for yeah. sure. So it's, like, I think it's natural to see, like, well, he's this cool guy who does this stuff, and da da Like, that's a standard, you know, that's a standard character that you open a big grimdark fantasy novel with. So I understand, like, why you would think he's the POV character. Mm. But, the, mm. um, but yeah, I think, like, there might be more opportunities with someone else. So, yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, for sure. I agree, and that yeah. and that. Uh, let's just let's just leave that there. I think I think Dave's mind is blown at this point. Uh, as far <laughs> as as character POVs goes, let's talk about the matriarchy uh, and and the magic thing. Uh, I'm keen to to get Madeline and Lauren's perceptions on how we can not fix necessarily, but make more authentic and more effective. And Lauren, that of course is your zone because you're very effective. It is. I'm very uh, effective. <laughs> uh, uh, as, as a a vehicle for an authentic representation of a uh, of a matriarchy. Uh, Madeline, I'm gonna I'm gonna start off with you, and then we'll turn the mic over to Lauren. Yeah, um, I think that like there have been examples. There there are pretty classic examples of matriarchies in fiction that are still fairly deep and have their own internal conflicts. Like the example for me is always going to be the Bene Gesserit in, in yes. Dune, Dune, right? You know, mm-hmm. where they are, they don't control a country, they control the empire. Like the, you know, <laughs> they are the hidden advisors or the, they are the advisors and have, they have a position in society that is really well established. They are responsible for colonization. They seed their myths as far as they can so that when it, whenever they return to a world, they like the place for them has already been set. Um, they are incredibly strategic. They have a long-term breeding program that they think will change the world, and then it does. Um, they uh, and they execute. They they develop those strategies and execute them almost flawlessly most of the time. Um, and, uh, and therein and so, lies so the story. <laughs> and therein lies the story. It's like the one time mm-hmm. that it screws up, suddenly you have this this galaxy-changing event. Um, and so and the and the one time that one of them chooses for love rather than for strategy that's when things go awry for for them um so i think that and there are internal conflicts within that there are like Mm, they mm. just because they execute those things doesn't mean they always agree from the outside when you look at a group of women it's really easy to sort of say like oh well once once they all get together they'll all they'll all agree right because all women are the same right and it's like no that's that's not actually Mm -hmm. how that works a, a team of women coming to a decision and then presenting it you, to you might look like agreement. It's actually the product of a lot of, of conversation that you will never see because uh-huh. the the, uh, the idea is like, no, we want to have something that's unassailable. I think that there are still plenty of opportunities to get into the different styles of leadership that women have with mm. and would have within this story like there's no reason to believe that just because you have a, a cast of leaders and legislators and uh, who are all women that are trying to run a society that it wouldn't be as complex and as riven with with uh, mm-hmm. disagreement and with um, challenge and conflict as like the wire there right you go. like yeah. the, you know well, ambition is universal and and yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so are disagreements about how to run a society, right? Sure. Um, one of the things that I often object to in fantasy fiction is the, like, we're from here, we do this. Yes. We, we, 
Yeah. And, and, we're and it's all like, the same and we all and do this. All same, and it's like, and it's sort of like, oh, so you're on brand and on message constantly. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, what? Look no. at any country. No, hell no. <laughs> like, yeah. And, and stuff. So I would kind of want to see the disagreements about the use of magic, the place of men in society, the place of whether or not to open up the country a little bit more, like um, how secretive to be, you know, all these different sort of mm-hmm. all those all those different things. Like it seems like that's those are ripe areas for conflict. And the way yeah. you deepen that civilization and make it feel more real and less like a trope is yeah. to ex- expose those conflicts and make those things real. Like there's a I don't know who said this first. Um, there's a saying that goes. Melodrama is the conflict between right and wrong. Drama is the conflict between right and right. Ooh, yep. nice. Yep. And oh, that's um, very cool. And when you when you have and again something like The Wire is like about having, you know, both sides be right a lot of the time, and the shakeout of that it, that that awful awful compromise sometimes is sort of where your story is, and that's often the story of civilization. Like. My husband is a reporter at Toronto City Hall, and I hear a lot of (laughs) all um, deputations and stuff like, uh, or he'll tell me about it. And it's like to get a sidewalk put in or a stop sign or something like that is like turns into a surprisingly epic story. (laughs) 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 Like it's about this tiny thing, but it's just like people are red in the face and they're like they come in and they're, they're angry and it's like and it's just for this one thing and so like when you th- when you map that on a civilization it's yeah. it's really surprising like yeah. what read, you, read the his, drama you get out of mm, there read his story knife fight and that will oh, yeah. that will illustrate yeah. that uh, very graphically yeah. <laughs> that's all awesome. i'm going to turn the mic over to lauren uh, uh uh to to continue and sustain this this superb discussion um lauren what what are your thoughts on on the subject of of authenticizing and enriching uh this culture okay so um i have a question about the reason they were experimenting with the power to create life in the first place because i mean that's kind of that's what women do we do that without magic we don't need magic for that so the the um i mean and that's something that was explored a lot in ancient mythology with um men being upset about not having that power to create life and so you get a lot of gods trying to do things like um you know jacking off on the ground and creating humans and all kinds of fun stuff like that and you know Aphrodite coming out of sea foam that is <laughs> not sea foam. Um, so, you know, you have a lot of <laughs> you have a lot of of um, stories in history about men trying to create life, but very few about women because we do that already. So the the reason that you gave was that they didn't want to mate with men, and I question the authenticity of an entire civilization full of women that don't want straight sex. Yeah, no. Like you yeah. currently have an evil lesbian island, which is another trope that you yeah, don't no. want, that we should <laughs> yeah, avoid. No, so yeah, ladies yeah. like sex too. Why? And we're also like I we're guess. the ones that are capable of multiple orgasms. So I don't exactly. see like why so, we would be getting rid of, of that. And you know, I can totally see a couple of these ladies being like, Psh, we don't need men for pleasure and stuff like that and that being completely fine but also like the the 
being straight is still the dominant thing. Like it's statistically it's, it's, more likely. It's statistically more likely because otherwise we would die out as a people. So I, I question why they would the the reason they decide to create life. Do you have an alternative, perhaps, for why they would want to? Uh, well, like, go ahead. <laughs> I don't, well, I understand like the idea of like creating a magical technology or a technology in general that like allows you to bear children without having to carry them because pregnancy mm-hmm. is bullshit. Yeah. Um, you know, if there were a better way, everybody would be down with that. Like, there are some women who love being pregnant. Um, that's because their brains are sending them chemicals to make them feel good about it. But that's the only reason. Well, like, that's it's brilliant. Like, everybody though. would want to get out of that arrangement. That's pronto. a great framework, Madeline. That, like, would, that would absolutely, like, yeah. Like, I could, and I could see there being, uh, 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 you know, not only do we get to, you know, transform. For the, the the bearing of the child into this magical womb, which is kind of a, a cool archetypal concept uh, yeah. that could be unpacked a lot. But you know, maybe the beings that would come from this this gestation would be the the uber beings. Maybe you know, going back to the Bene Gesserit and and trying to cultivate that that next evolution. And this is another reason why I wanted to bring you on here because this is kind of like <laughs> the singularity vibe, where right. it where it's it's almost like the next being, the next level of evolution. Evolution, which I think is kind of cool. Yeah, no, I think that, um, and again, Frank Herbert actually took this up. The one of the civilizations in the Dune novels, the Benny Talax, like they have their own mechanical wombs and right. they grow the bulas, right, which are like little homunculi, um, and and so and they are capable of cloning. Um, so uh, so it's like not far off. Like it's another form of trope. The idea that like you would create. Um, you know, magical beings. So just so that you wouldn't have sex with men is kind of like to me that doesn't make any sense. I can see creating magical beings or creating other forms of life to do work for you. Like that's that's no different from the robot story, right? That like yeah. we're, gonna, we're gonna make these laborers so that we don't have to do these things. And like and that's how we deal with like algorithms and automation now. It's like I don't want to deal with um, figuring out what time the traffic lights should go on or what the price of grain should be. So I'm going to write an algorithm that does that for me. You know, like those that, you know, we're already engaged in that as a civilization. So the idea that like people capable, keep people with magical abilities would use their magic to do that exact same thing. That makes sense. Well, and Madeline, um, but, I think you've, you've really hit on, you know, a, a key factor. Uh, you know, one, one of the, the things, you know, how does a matriarchy come into existence? In this case, it's real simple. Women are the only ones that can do magic. Yeah, right. You know, right. at that like, point, you know, women are the only ones with guns. Uh, yeah, no. uh, and there you go. In which case you would never give that shit up. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Never. Very, very true. <laughs> so you, 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 ever, 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 ever. Let's say it again. Like, never. And if, and it, yeah. And if you like gave up your like, if you gave up the magic, I can see in a civilization like that, you would have unfairness. You would have like privilege gaps. You would have, you would have like, you would still, it's you would still have like racism, colorism, you know, poverty, all those things. But with magic, you like, you know, you would have these. You would still have all that unfairness. But like, uh, with with magic you create different opportunities for equality yeah and different opportunities mm-hmm. for and different opportunities for inequality right imagine if if only women could use the internet right what yeah. kind of culture would that be if if that power and that information was gender specific 
Right, right. Damn. And that's how that's how a lot of people in human resources departments think technology should be right now, just <laughs> on the other side. All right, guys, This we haven't covered a lot of ground in this brainstorm, but I think we've covered some key points very deeply, and I think that's just as awesome. But I'm looking at the time... Uh, uh, Oh yeah. <laughs> Tick down. And I'm going, we, we probably should start wrapping this up. So I'm going to move us into that, that final stage of the round table where we, uh, we go once more around the table and just give some final thoughts to Dave. Uh, 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 anything that you couldn't bring up or wanted to affirm from the brainstorm, uh, fill his pockets with literary gold and, and send him off to, to write this bad boy. Uh, Madeline will lead off with you, ma'am. Final thoughts for Dave. Um, I would think about how to detropify your your feminist utopia, um, mm. and and the way that you do that is by considering the ways in which it is not a utopia, and that's to say the ways that it is not a utopia for women, not like how unfair it is to dudes. Um, I I would uh, <laughs> I would consider I would add more female characters and I would have them do things and and take agency over their own lives. And yeah, I agree with Lauren that like the whole like all. For such an advanced civilization, these women need a lot of rescue, which is doesn't make any sense. And uh, and so I would figure out a way around that. And also, I would just um, focus on on the story. There's a lot going on here, and there are like a lot of plates spinning and a lot of balls in the air, and kind of like you know, so to speak. And I just think that. Um, like simplifying a little bit will will let that story come through. Um, I am a person who absolutely cannot do like despises exposition, and <laughs> and I think that it's really as as Dave was saying, it's really telling that you described a world and not a person when mm-hmm. pitching yeah. this book. And so it's like okay, but you know we need a we need someone to take us on on a journey. Yeah. Through mm-hmm. through this, and yeah. and like we need a we need a partner on the journey. We need someone we can join, um, or someone's you know right. a group of people and uh, mm-hmm. and stuff. So it's you know let the give that story a little bit of room to breathe, so that you can find the find you know make room to find those voices. I guess is what I would say. Awesome. Like, That's excellent. You know? That's excellent. Absolutely. No, I, I completely awesome. concur. You. Lauren, for you, final thoughts. Um, well, I like the idea of Idane as a main char- as the main character and whittling down the numbers of POVs. And I think that um, you should definitely figure out different factions within the matriarchy's um, politics and mm-hmm. um, make one of the POV characters a politician and or magician who is a female so that we get to see all of that through yeah. a woman's yeah. eyes. Yeah. And, mm. um potentially make that character somebody who can join a Dane on the journey that he's taking. Okay. Yeah. I like awesome. that. So, awesome. Awesome. And, and for myself, uh, Dave, um, oh God, so much. Uh, uh, <laughs> I, I guess uh, I'll pick one. Um, the time travel thing. Um, yeah. the, uh, uh, and, and this is, you know, we addressed that and we talked about it and then that, that note has been given. I just want to expand on it just a little bit. Uh, uh, the, the ending note of the time travel, uh, thing, which is really the, the coda, the, 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 the punctuation, the period on this story, um, is hopeful and yeah. this is grimdark. So it can't <laughs> that's be. A, that's another. 
It and can't so you be. see, that's another thing why, like, like in my why, why, why I like describing myself as a guy who doesn't follow the rules. Ah, okay, all right. <laughs> well, let me let me just offer this then, and and it does tend yeah. to follow the rules. And I apologize, <laughs> apologize no for worries. that. No worries. Uh, but my suggestion would be instead of discovering this new opportunity to make a change, mm. have it be mm-hmm. a revelation that this has been going on for millennia. That the cycle that was started created an endless time loop. And these people are doomed to play out these scenarios in all their infinite Mm -hmm. diversity over and over again. And and if if the idea of of hope and destiny and change is is, you know, wired into the narrative going forward, uh, then that discovery Oh God! Yeah, I want to throw myself out a window, but it will be a very satisfying ending uh, uh, <laughs> and, uh, to to this type of story. So that was that was mm-hmm. my one thought. The other thought that I'm just going to toss in here is uh, a problem that I have right alongside with you, dude. Is this rich, lustrous backstory with this incredible nuance of stuffs and things? And if you only want to tell one story, I think a lot of that is going to have to go. It can yep. inform your decisions and, and your yeah. cultures, but I think unless it has direct bearing on the mm. themes and the character arcs that you're cultivating in this, that mm-hmm. it's going to burden your story. You're going to have a bunch of info dumps and information that the reader just doesn't need. Now, mm. my, my own impulse is to say, okay, make this a standalone story, and then spin off and go into the past and and go ahead yeah. and explore all those lovely side bits of backstory so they don't have to die a gruesome death in the void uh, uh, mm-hmm. but let them be the foundation for other stories just not this one so that is that's very cool thanks Dave. those yeah. those are my thoughts those are our thoughts holy crap brilliant freaking brainstorm i knew it i knew it would be <laughs> so all right dave here's the rule of the round table man uh you've got a bunch of literary gold in your pocket you go out you write this bad boy you put it out in the world whether it's a pdf on your website or a massive freaking contract with a big publisher whatever you come back you let us know and we will knight you sir we will make you a knight of the round table podcast that's the deal you down with that sir I'm down with it, and and trust me, you guys are going to be thanked in the acknowledgements. One of the perks of the job, man. <laughs> uh, Dave DeBerg, thank you so much. You have set a beautiful table for this brainstorming feast. It was awesome, and I know there was trepidation and concern, but hopefully you're coming out the other side feeling with a bit more swagger in your writerly step, man. Thank you so much oh. for stepping Definitely. up awesome thanks guys i really appreciate it you guys have really made me made me think uh, in a lot of different ways in in new ways and important ways about the story um and i totally agree with all the points i, I want to quickly go back to the to the one of the things why <laughs> it sounds weird but one of the things why why there was only women and i, I sort of realized that i have to blame that in a way, on Ian McDonald, because I about mm-hmm. a month ago I finished reading um, *Luna New Moon*, and right. one of the characters in his book, she's uh, a daughter of one of the five dragons. You guys should really read this book if you haven't read it. It's absolutely brilliant. McDonald's one of my 
one of my heroes, um, she's, she's an asexual being. And the kind of reasons that she brings out in the book are the kind of things that I wanted to explore with the mothers. But you've given me a lot to think about. So awesome. that's awesome. Thank you. Our work <laughs> is done here. Very you cool. make your politician <laughs> character asexual then. There you go. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Well, there's nothing wrong with a little, a little uh, uh, riffing on that vibe. That could certainly be explored more. Madeline Ashby, once again, you affirm my decision to bring seasoned veteran authors and editors onto the show to, to help guide us and lead us forward. This has been spectacular. My mind has expanded. Everybody, the listeners are going, holy crap, yeah. Thank you so much. This has been splendid. Well, thank you. Absolutely, yeah. And we'll do this again, I promise. There will be a, there will be a roundtable yeah, dinner no. party. We'll make that happen. We'll make that happen. That would be and, awesome. And my co-host, my sister of podcasting, Lauren Scribe-Harris, uh, I always get a charge when you're sitting in the co-host chair, and today was no exception. Thank you so much, man. We will definitely do this again, yeah? I can't wait. <laughs> awesome. Neither can I. <laughs> Neither can I. And as long as we're doling out the gratitudes, dear friends, you hit the play button. And that makes you badass in my book because that's why we do this. We share these things so that you guys can catch fire from the mojo that we're throwing down in these brainstorms. And I'm sure you're all en fuego at this point. Uh, uh, so if you're feeling the love or you're feeling the burn, as the case may be, uh, uh, feel free to pay that forward. Share a post, post a review, blog about us. Let people know there are not enough people that know about the Round Table podcast. And, and we really need to do something about that. I'm counting on you to help out out so wow i'm geez. the temperature always goes up in my room after these brainstorms and it's like 10 <laughs> degrees warmer right now i'm spent i'm exhausted but friends in seven days like a phoenix from the ashes the round table will rise again with another fabulous guest host pouring wisdom into our ears a bold and courageous guest writer setting the table for our brainstorming feast more round table fabulosity pouring out into the potosphere and i know it's seven days and i, I just i there's nothing i can do about that guys linear time is my bitch is not my bitch i'm its bitch so <laughs> lauren help me out here help our listeners out what can they do between now and seven days from now to, to help slide that passage of time away? Well, unless you can create a time machine, in which case send that to all of us. <laughs> yes, please. Um, <laughs> then you should probably be writing. Yes. Yes, yeah. you should. Absolutely. And, and really, when you think about it, writing is a kind of time travel, uh, uh, which because mm -hmm. certainly time disappears <laughs> when you're writing, if nothing else. Uh, yes, absolutely. Right. Share your stories with the world. That's how things happen for you and for us. And I will tell you, friends, as I always do, you find what you're looking for. So look for that top shelf blue label goodness. Look for the look for the lost change in the sofa, the, the forgotten package at the back of the Christmas tree. If you look for those things, friends, I promise you, you will find them. We'll see you in just seven days. Until then, you guys stay cool, stay frothy, and stay awesome. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. This episode of the Roundtable Podcast is copyright 2015 by Wonder Thing Studios and is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike License. That means please don't sell it, but you can share it to your heart's content. You can even use portions of it in your own productions, as long as you release those productions under the same licensing terms and reference us as the source. 
Theme music for the Roundtable podcast was performed by the Hepcats of Brotown. Gary Gold, David Labroyere, Billy Nobel, and Matt O'Donnell. If you would like to be a guest writer or guest host, join in on the conversation or just learn more about us, visit our website at www.roundtablepodcast.com. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash roundtablepodcast and on Twitter at Writers Podcast. And you can always email us at thetable at roundtablepodcast.com. Thanks for listening.